time with God every day. Every day. Every day. I will spend time with God. I will pray. I will pray. 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 I will pray. I will be holy. I will be holy. 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 I will be. I will be holy. I will fulfill God's purpose for me and my generation. My generation. My generation. I will fulfill God's purpose. God's purpose for my generation. For me and my generation. My generation. I will live the vow. All right, I'm calling my talk tonight the key to righteousness. There is a key to righteousness. You know, if you ever had like, if you were playing sports and you were a basketball player or something and you knew like um, uh, just like a key or core idea, something that you could do that would give you the upper edge over everyone else, you would want to know that, right? So there's a key to righteousness and righteousness means right living. It's like living right. Does that make sense? And so there's a key to this, to living righteously. And early on, I named my teaching uh, the key to kingdom living. So it's like living uh, in the kingdom and in in this idea of there's a real key to living the way that God's called us to live in his kingdom. And so as I was preparing, wow, that's, that is really loud. All right. <laughs> you hear the projector? Sweet. Okay. So while I was preparing this, uh, uh, I just, it just hit me and just came to my heart. I was like, this really isn't the, the key to kingdom living. I mean, it is, but more accurately, it's the key to righteousness. And you ever have, that, have something happen to you where you're like, you get this thought or you get this idea, and you, you don't know why you got it. And then so then I was like, well, I'm just going to look up righteousness and see if it fits. And I looked up righteousness, and my whole idea tonight is that the key to righteousness is found in relationship and so the core idea to living right the core idea to living in the kingdom of God how he's called us to live is found in relationship so we need to understand we need to look at our relationship with God we need to look at our relationship with with other people we need to look at our relationships with our family members with uh our girlfriends with our boyfriends with our siblings with all sorts of people some of you have boyfriends and girlfriends so I can say that Most of you don't. Good job. And so we need to look at all these relationships in our lives. And so I want you to think about those relationships. And so anyways, I changed it from kingdom living to righteousness. And I looked up, you know, I have this this Bible dictionary and it gives me the, the meaning of some of the words. And so this one scholar writes that, one base, about righteousness, one basic ingredient in the Old Testament idea of righteousness is relationship, both between God and man and between man and man. Referred to relations between men, righteous action is action which conforms to the requirements of the relationship and in a more general sense promotes the well-being and peace of the community. So I just, that was like the aha moment, you know, I was like, going to talk about kingdom living, but then I, I just had this idea, and I know it was the Holy Spirit about the key to righteousness and living right, and the meaning to righteousness is actually talking about in the context of relationship. So when, when we see talk, in the scriptures talking about righteousness, Jesus telling us about righteousness, and to live righteously, and for us to be righteous, we know that in many instances, I know in some instances it's not, but in many instances, it's talking about relationship with other people living right amongst community living right amongst each other so we see through the scriptures commandment after commandment instruction after instruction 
and ways after ways. There's a thousand different ways that we're supposed to live that we see in the scriptures, right? So you look through the scriptures and you're like, wow, it tells me to do this and do that and do this. But then it says not to do this. And it says you should do this in this way and, and all of that stuff. And so I look and I'm like, wow, I want to learn all of this stuff. I want to gain all this wisdom. I want, to, I want to live the way the scriptures tell me to live. But I'm kind of a simpleton. I'm kind of a guy that's like, I just want it simple. Have you ever seen those things that say like, keep it simple? Okay, so I like to keep it simple. And so early on in my walk with God, my voice cracked. Is that funny? (laughs) His voice cracked. Oh, man. Good stuff. (laughs) Just going to move past it, but. And so early on in my walk with God, uh, when I would find just scriptures that really spoke to me, I'd write them on a note card. I would write the, the passage of the scripture on one side, and then I'd write the actual passage on the other side, and I would memorize the scriptures from note cards. And one of the scriptures that I mem- memorized is in Ecclesiastes, and it's Ecclesiastes twelve thirteen. And the book of Ecclesiastes is a book of wise sayings. You know, Solomon was, the Lord granted him wisdom, and in the scriptures it says he was the wisest man that lived at that time something to that effect. So Solomon was this super wise guy. And they think, some people think that Ecclesiastes was written by Solomon, but it says here, although the, the book may sound like Solomon, most scholars believe it was written much later, but it's someone that had strong ties with Solomon. So it's a book of wise sayings in Ecclesiastes twelve thirteen. So he writes the whole book of Ecclesiastes, and then at the very end, this is the last chapter, Ecclesiastes twelve thirteen, and he says, now all has been heard. It's kind of this idea like everything's been heard this far, I've, wrote, I've written all these wise things this far. And he goes, now all has been heard. Here's the conclusion of the matter. Here's the conclusion of all this. Fear God and keep his commandments, for this is the whole duty of man. So I just like to break it down simply, you know, and, and look at the scripture simply. And I'm like, what's the, what's the root? What's the core? What does this scripture mean? If we could just break it down in simple terms, what are some big ideas that I can that I can strive to live by and I can pray and intercede and ask God to help me live by these big ideas in which I will be fulfilling who he's called me to be. And so in, in, in order to keep it simple, sometimes we have to look at the scriptures and we have to dig deeper. We have to look at the root meaning of, of different scriptures. We just have to look at uh, biblical passages and we have to get down, down dirty and deep and, and see what exactly that Jesus is telling us, what he's, what he's showing us, Okay. And so, really, the primary idea that I want to talk about is that the key to living right, the key to living, living like, a, like a kingdom person here on the earth. You know, when we, go, when we go to heaven, when we die from this age, we're going to be in the kingdom of heaven, hopefully, all of us. Uh, <laughs> that came out wrong, but... Uh, we're going to be in the kingdom of God, and we're going to be his people. And so God's desire for each one of us is that we would live like we're living in the kingdom of God now. Even though we're in the world, we're not supposed to be of the world. We're supposed to be of the kingdom of God. And so I primarily want to talk about this, this key to living in the kingdom of God, but while here on the earth, to live right. And the core is found in relationship, and I'm just going to cover those three things. I'm going to talk about relationship. And I'm going to talk about the connection between love and relationship. And then I'm going to talk about what I call the great struggle. So let me pray real quick. 
God, I just thank you for this time. I thank you for these students. I thank you for all of the sermons and teachings that they get to hear. I thank you for all of the time that we get to spend in your presence. I thank you that you anoint our prayers, that you've called us to intercede. I thank you that you hear our prayers and you respond and you act. I thank you that you are one that blesses those that hunger and thirst for righteousness. Those of us that that study the scriptures, that dive deep into your word, that intercede and call on your name and ask for change in our lives and in the lives of those around us, that you respond to those things, God. So God, I just pray that you would remove laziness from my midst. I pray that you would remove laziness from the midst of each one of us. And I pray that you would call us to be diligent in not just studying the scriptures, but living out the scriptures. That you'd call us to be diligent people that would actually act upon the things that we believe on. God, I pray, Father, that we would be a tribe, that we would be a people that are changing and morphing and shaping and becoming more like you, Lord Jesus. I pray that year after year that you would anoint leaders to go and take the world for the kingdom of God. God, help us tonight to learn about relationship with each other and relationship with you. Help us to see the keys to the scriptures. Help us to change. Help us to have repentant hearts to move forward, to live in power, God. Just bless you tonight in Jesus' name. Everyone said, kingdom of God is all about relationship. There's one thing the kingdom of God is about. It's about relationship. There is no kingdom advancement without relationship. When Jesus came to the earth, the work that he did was through relationship. So Jesus comes and he, and he has genuine relationship with people. And the work that he was called to complete, the work that he was called to do here on the earth, happened through relationship. And you see that, uh, you see that through, he invested in the 12. You know, he sent out the 72. He invested in the 12 disciples. And then he even broke it down and had uh, the, th- the three kind of around him, kind of close to him. He had uh, John and James and Peter. And then even beyond that, he broke it down to like kind of John was the guy that was kind of close to Jesus. He was like, you know, the guy. And John, John was, the, the, was the guy. You see the, the three guys, they were the ones that were brought up to the transfiguration. And so Jesus didn't bring all 12 with him. He brought those three guys up to the transfiguration. And then you see John is the one that's called John the Beloved. When he writes, he goes, I'm the one that Jesus loves, you know. The, the disciple that Jesus loved, which is great. And then John's the one that lays his, his head on Jesus' chest at the supper. And so we see that Jesus invested in these guys, and not just these guys, but larger groups. And Jesus' purpose was consumed in these relationships. In fact, the kingdom was not going to advance except through relationship. And so we turn to John chapter 17, and I just want to highlight some scriptures here. And this is Jesus' high priestly prayer, is what it is labeled here in my Bible. And chapter 17, verse 1, I'll wait for you guys to turn there. Say amen when you're there. All right, you're quick. Jesus spoke these things, and lifting up his eyes to heaven, he said, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your Son, that the Son may glorify you, even as you gave him authority over all flesh, that to all whom you have given him, he may give eternal life. This is Jesus praying to the Father. Verse 3, this is eternal life, that they may know you, the only true God in Jesus Christ whom you have sent. I glorified you on the earth, having accomplished the work which you have given me to do. Verse 5, now, Father, glorify me together with yourself, with the glory which I had with you before the world was. So we see right here, 
in verse 4 where Jesus goes, I glorified you on the earth. Jesus is talking about the Father and he says, I, Jesus, have glorified you, the Father, on the earth, having accomplished the work which you have given me to do. The work which Jesus was given to do was what? Glorify the Father. The work that Jesus was given to do was to glorify the Father in advancing the kingdom through relationship and everything that he did. It's all for the glory of the Father. Our primary purpose, the reason that we're alive, the primary reason that we are alive is God the Father's primary idea for for creating mankind. His primary concern is his glory. And I think his secondary concern, I think his secondary desire is relationship with us. But I think that it's those that have relationship with God are the ones that glorify him the most. And so we do need to have relationship with God, but we also need to see in the scriptures, Jesus' job, Jesus comes to the earth in order to glorify the Father. So what do you think our job is? To glorify the Father. And so then Jesus goes on in this prayer. You see verse 1 through 5, he's kind of opening up this prayer. In verse 6 through 12, It's all about his disciples. He's talking all about his disciples. He goes, I have manifested your name to the men whom you gave me out of the world. They were yours, and you gave them to me, and they have kept your word. Now they have come to know that everything you have given me is from you. For the words which you gave me I have given to them, and they received them and truly understood. And I came forth from you, and they believed that you sent me. I ask on their behalf. I do not ask on behalf of the world, but on those whom you have given me. For they are yours, and all things that are mine are yours, and yours are mine, and I have been glorified in them. I am no longer in the world, and yet they themselves are in the world, and I come to you. So on, and so on, and so on. Jesus is praying to the Father, and he's praying about the disciples. He's not praying so much, God, I pray that your kingdom would advance on the earth. I pray that this thing would happen, and that thing would happen. God, I pray that this event would take place and that event would take place. Jesus is getting ready to go to the cross and what's on Jesus' heart and Jesus' mind is praying for people, praying for his friends, praying for those that he had relationship with. Why? Because the events that were going to take place and the kingdom that's going to advance and everything that God wants to happen in the earth is going to happen through relationship, through actual people. Because that's the way that God works. He's all about relationship. He's all about family. So Jesus is praying here and he says, you know, my primary concern, I finished the work you called me to do in bringing you glory. Then he goes on and he's praying for the disciples. So we see that, I mean, Jesus would not have accomplished the work that was given him without relationship. Jesus Jesus built relationship with the disciples. He built relationship with with, uh, David always brings up Zacchaeus, you know, like he built relationship with all of these people even as he just approached them and came across them and he, and he went into their homes and he talked with them and he sat with them. He built relationship with these people and this is how the kingdom, kingdom advanced. And so what's the purpose of heaven? What's the purpose of eternal life? What's the whole purpose of it all? What's the purpose of us Getting to go to heaven, the purpose of eternal life, the whole reason of eternal life. And he says it right here in verse 3. He goes, this is eternal life, that they may know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. So this is eternal life that they, who's they? And? Us. This is eternal life that you may know the Father, that I may know the Father. 
the only true God, and Jesus Christ, that we would know Jesus Christ. This is eternal life, that we would know him. What does it mean to know somebody? In the Greek, to know means to learn about, to be familiar with, to understand, to recognize, to know through personal experience. I've heard a teacher explain before, you know, we know about a lot of people. We know about the President of the United States. You know about him because you've heard him talk on the TV. You've heard his stance on certain issues. You know about the President of the United States, but most of us, probably all of us in this room, have never met the President of the United States. Do we know the President of the United States? Do we know him intimately? Do we understand Are we familiar? Do we recognize? Do we know through personal experience who he is? And so so we have kind of a crisis here in the church. We have a crisis because on the mass majority, on the mass scale, many people know about Jesus. They know about his works. They know about the things that he's done. They know about the conversations he had with people. They know what what he's doing in some other people's lives. They know that they see someone with the presence of God on them. They know that all of these things about Jesus, but do you know Jesus? Have you experienced Jesus with personal experience? That's kind of scary to me, I think. Like, I know a lot about Jesus, and I think I could even scoot by even in this world knowing about Jesus. But do I know him? Do I have real relationship with him? Do I talk with him and walk with him and do life with him? That's what eternal life's all about. Eternal life's about knowing God. Knowing meaning, not knowing about him, but walking with him. Actually knowing him. You know how you know your friends? You know how sometimes your friends can give you a look and you just know what they're thinking? Do you know how, how sometimes, you know how like your friend could say something like really sarcastic and mean, but that's kind of like your relationship and you're like, ha, 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 and you punch him in the arm or whatever. <laughs> but like if some stranger walked up and said that same thing to you, you'd probably clock him in the face, you know? <laughs> you know that whole idea? Well, that's the difference between kind of seeing someone and knowing about them and actually knowing someone is if we know jesus then we're going to start to learn his heart he's going to know us we're going to share ourselves with him we're going to have relationship with him and all of a sudden one time i think i've told this story before but uh, i heard a heard a guy talking about his relationship with god and he said you know he would hear god so much early on in his walk with the lord and kind of as he walked with the lord year after year after year after year after year he, it seemed to him he was hearing God's voice less and less. Still small whisper, knowing in his heart, whatever you want to say his voice is. And, and he, you know, so he's getting kind of concerned. And he, so he went to the Lord about, him, about it. And he kind of just had this revelation that he was hearing God less and less, but he was knowing God more and more. And so as he faced instant after instance and situation after situation and circumstance after circumstance, it's not so much that he needed God to tell him what to do because he started to know what God would do. And that's who we need to be. We need to know God. We need to have, I'm not saying, you know, like if you never hear from God, this, whatever. I'm not saying that's great. But we need to know God. We need to have relationship with God. 
kingdom of God is all about relationship. There is no isolation in the kingdom of God. There is no one person off by themselves in the kingdom of God. It's all about relationship. So, so all, our whole context of relationship with other people, relationship right here on the earth, relationship with family, all of this relationship, that's our context for that's what the kingdom of God is like. That's what the kingdom of God is about. Kingdom of God is about relationship. God wants relationship with you. God wants you to have good relationships with each other. It's all about relationship. And so I'm getting down to the, like, you know, be like, okay, what are the few things that I can just focus on to live how you've called me to live, God? And so we see we've all heard these scriptures over and over. And I, I don't know why, but I always bring them up. But anyways, the greatest commandments. And we see that the, the, the scribes and the teachers of the law and the Pharisees, they're trying to catch Jesus. They're trying to, to trick him. They're trying to catch him in something. And so all their questions are trying to catch him. So they ask him about the law. And they're like, what's the greatest commandment in the law? And I think, like, I was just thinking about this. It's crazy awesome that Jesus actually says two commandments. Like, we, we're always looking for what's the best thing to do, you know? What do I focus on? Everything that I'm talking about tonight. What's the core thing that I can focus on? You know, if, if what's the way that I can get the answers to the test? On the study guide, you want the study guide to have questions that are going to be on the test. You don't want the study guide to be all this other stuff that you don't even care about or want to learn. You want the questions that are going to be on the test so you can pass the test. We want the bottom line. What's the bottom line? And so they come trying to trick him, and he, he responds, and he actually tells us what the greatest commandments are. And they ask him a law question, and he responds with love. And he says, the two greatest commandments are love the Lord your God with all your heart and soul and mind. I started leaving out that, like some versions say heart, soul, mind, strength. But never mind, I'm not going to go there. He says, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and mind. And the second is like it, love your neighbor as yourself. So he gives us these two primary commandments. Now we use the word love for a lot of different things. We use the word love in a lot of different context we use the word like like i love in and out burger you know i'm gonna have that in a few months uh we use because i'm going to my cousin's wedding in california we use the word love like i love 59 fitties that's a flat bill hat by the way kenny uh kenny knows what i'm talking about we use the word love for things like i love snowboarding but the biblical meaning of love and when jesus talks about love is not so much talking about love of things or love of all the things that we talk about that we love when he's talking about love i think love yes love is a choice and i know we hear well love's not an emotion you know love is a choice and you you know that really well in marriage and after you get married it's not just an emotion it's not just a feeling love is a choice but i think love is also an emotion i think love is an emotion that kind of manifests itself in the choice to act upon that love so love is an action. I mean, if I break it down, love is an action. And that's the manifestation of love. So when we love, we will act upon it. And all of that happens within the context of relationship. When we love God and we take action on the love that we have for God, it happens in the context of relationship. You love your parents. You love your siblings, most of you. You love your friends. 
We love each other here in this tribe. The love that we express, the love that we, you know, before I ever met Kylan, you know, I was like, I didn't have like a deep-seated love for Kylan, you know. I'm not like, wow, I just love this guy. He's awesome. Before I ever knew him. But now I know him. Now I'm in relationship with him. And I do have a love for Kylan. Does that make sense? So love happens in relationships. So when we see when we see all these scriptures talking about love, we're talking, we're breaking it down. We're talking about in relationship. It's in the context of relationship. And we see the emphasis on these passages of scripture in verse 40 where he says, on these two commandments depend the whole law and the prophets. And the, the Living Bible translation says it this way. All the other commandments and all the demands of the prophets stem from these two laws and are fulfilled if you obey them. Keep only these and you will find that you're obeying all the others. So all the commandments and all the law in the scriptures, everything that God would have us do and how he called us to live is fulfilled in obeying these two commandments. In loving God and loving other people. Loving God and loving other people. Break it, don't just think like, oh, I love God, I love others. Break it down. Look at your relationship. Look at your relationship with God and look at your relationship with other people. You can determine if you're obeying the commands of Jesus Christ, if you're obeying the commands of the scripture by looking at your relationships. It's not just your idea of love, but look at your relationships. Look at any friction that's happening in your relationships. Look at the selfish ambition that's going on in your heart with relationships. Look at the jealousy that's happening between you and other people in relationships. Look at all the things going on in your heart. And in these relationships are literally kind of the manifestation in your face. Are you obeying the commands of Jesus Christ? It's not like, oh, I can't party because I don't want to live in debauchery. Oh, I can't have sex outside of marriage. Oh, I can't. No, if you would just love each other and you would love God, all that's taken care of. That's what it says right there. You obey all the law, all the prophets, everything that's written, if we love God and love each other. Look at our relationships. I think this almost... I mean, the statement that I want to make is that if we can get our relationship with God right and our relationship with other people right, then we'll be found obedient to all the scriptures. And I think that, you know, even in, in learning this myself, I was like, well, this is such a roundabout way. But then it just kept hitting me and hitting me, and so I'm just going to keep hitting you with it here. Romans 13, 8 says, Let no debt remain outstanding except the continuing debt to love one another. For he who loves his fellow men has fulfilled the law. The commandments, do not commit adultery, do not murder, do not steal, do not covet, and whatever command, other commandments there may be are summed up in this one rule. Love your neighbor as yourself. Love does no harm to its neighbor. Therefore, love is the fulfillment of the law. What kind of relationship do you have with your neighbor? What kind of relationship do you have with your friends? If we can deal with each other in love, if we can respond with, to each other, if we can react to each other, if we can treat one another in love, then we'll begin to, to live like Jesus lived. We'll begin to have relationship like Jesus had relationship. And you, you all know the golden rule, right, out of the scriptures? Matthew 7, 12. So in everything, do to others what you would have them do to you. For this sums up the law and the prophets. There's that phrase again for this sums up the law and the prophets 
So here we see three different passages of Scripture. Three totally different passages of Scripture talking about relationship with each other, relationship with God, loving God, loving each other, and how these are the fulfillment of the law. The first one of the first two greatest commandments, the entire law and the demands of the prophets are based on these two commandments. They're fulfilled in those two commandments. The second one out of Romans, love does no harm to its neighbor, therefore love is the fulfillment of the law. And then the third one, the golden rule. So in everything, do unto others what you would have them do to you. For this sums up the law and the prophets. So three different passages of scripture in the scriptures. It's not even in the same like section here. And we see the emphasis that love is the summation, is the fulfillment of all the law. So, so the script, I think Jesus is trying to be like, get it, get it, get it. You know, like there's no, there should never be like super, confu- you know, confusion's not from God. If you're confused, I don't know what the solution is, but it's not from God. <laughs> Way to go, preacher. All right. <laughs> Let me tell you something I don't know. No. Uh, <laughs> confusion is not from the Lord. And, and I mean, we see in the scriptures, I just see this over and over. He's just hitting us. This is the fulfillment of all the law. Just keep it simple. Love each other. Have good relationship with each other. I think we have a little bit of, of mixed definitions of what love is. We're familiar with the passage of scripture in Matthew 18 that talks about uh, Jesus going after the one sheep that's gone astray. And I've had, you know, I've had at my last, when I was youth pastoring at my last place, I've had, you know, parents would come up to me and say, man, I would never let a student get away from the youth group. You know, if a student stopped coming to the youth group, they're basically telling me, you know, you're, you're not doing a good job because you need to go get this, this one student that left the tribe, right? And it's always been something that I just, you know, prayed about and all this stuff. And there's a time for compassion and there's a time for mercy. And even Jesus says he's more excited about going after the one sheep. And he's talking about, you know, a group of believers, the one that goes and strays. And he's excited about going to get that one that has strayed off. But, but we have to use the discernment of the Holy Spirit and we have to understand what love is. And, and typically, the one that strayed is the one that was causing division, arguments, all sorts of stuff within my youth group. And what I did was I loved them and I confronted them with it. And then they didn't like that and they left. And so, and that doesn't mean that I would be closed off, you know, like it's totally open arms and saying, you know, come, come back whenever you want, even if they didn't re- come to me and repent and put ashes on their head or whatever. Like, come on back, you know, like, I love it. But it's not always run after the one sheep. Some of the, one of the best, uh, some of the best advice I got when I entered into ministry was from my uncle. And he said, he said, be careful because the enemy will send one person to, to uh, drain you of all of your energy and all of your strength and all of your emotional stuff. You know you only have so much emotional energy. You know you only have so much in you to give to others. Now we always need to be going back to the well, but you only have so much. And that's part of the reason why Jesus 
invested in the one, John, and then in the three, John, James, and Peter, and then in the 12, and then in the 72. Does that make sense? And so, so I have a little crew of people that I invest in, and then I have the larger crew, which is kind of core, that I invest in a little less. I'm, this sound <laughs> should have went the other way, but a little less. And then I have, you know, all of DLA, and then I have all of the gathering. Does that, does that make sense? And so that's a good thing. You don't want to just pour everything that you have out on just anyone and anywhere. You want to pour out what God has given you in the places God wants you to pour it out on. And in the people God wants you to pour it out into. In Mark chapter 10, verse 17, I told the D-laws this in class, so you're just going to have to hear it again. But Mark 10, 17 is one of the best um, examples of, of love that I see in the scriptures. And I'll go ahead and just turn there. It's okay if you don't. Mark 10, 17, it's a parable about the rich young ruler. And it says, Jesus is telling this parable, and he says, there's this rich young ruler. And so this is a guy, he's like a prince or a ruler or something, he's... He has power and he has money. He's this rich guy. And it says that he came to Jesus, falling on his knees, came running to Jesus, falling on his knees, asking what he must do to inherit the kingdom of God. You, don't, you can take it down from there. I'll just summarize here. And he came up to Jesus, falling on his knees. What must I do to inherit the kingdom of God? And this guy wasn't like, uh, you know, kind of smug, you know, coming up to Jesus. Yo, I guess... Uh, you know, kingdom of heaven sounds pretty cool. What should I do to get there? It wasn't like that. It said, the scriptures say that the rich young ruler came falling on his knees. Jesus, Jesus, what must I do to inherit the kingdom of God? Genuinely eager to hear from God, to hear from Jesus, what he must do to inherit the kingdom of God. He literally knew that something was missing. There's some reason. Something was blocking this access. Something was blocking this life. And he wanted to know what he must do to inherit the kingdom of God. And Jesus looks at him and he goes, well, you know the commandments. Obey your father and mother. Do not steal whatever commandments he says. And the rich young ruler looks at him and he goes, I've done this since I was a boy. Still sensing that something's missing. I've kept these commandments since I was a boy. And then this, this is what astonishes me. Then the scriptures say that Jesus looked at him and loved him. And then the very next thing out of Jesus' mouth is, all right, go and give everything you have to the poor and come follow me. And it says that the rich young ruler turned away sad and walked away. And so how many times Jesus exemplifies love by he looks at him and loves him by confronting him with what's keeping him from the kingdom of heaven. Jesus discerns what's keeping him from the kingdom of heaven, the idol in his life, and he confronts it and he loves this guy. So we see in, in our context, and I gave the same example to the D-laws, that there's like person A and person B, and they're walking, they're, person A and person B are watching person C, and person C is their friend. And person C is walking towards the edge of this cliff, and it's this huge, gigantic cliff. He's walk, person C is blindfolded, they can't see where they're going, and they're walking towards the edge of this cliff. Person A and person B are standing there, and they're like, yo, person C is about to walk off a cliff. And person B's like, dude, I don't really, I don't, I don't know if I should tell him that he's about to walk off the cliff. I'm really kind of concerned that he's going to get mad at me. What if he doesn't believe me that he's, gonna, that he's about to walk off a cliff? What if he gets offended at me for telling him this? 
that he's going to walk off a cliff. I'm just not sure, you know. I'm, I'm kind of his friend. I don't want to mess stuff up, you know. And person A's like, dude, this guy's my friend. He's like, yo, person C. <laughs> You're going to walk off a cliff, dude. You better turn around or change your course. And, and person A doesn't care what he thinks. He's loving this guy by telling him he's about to kill himself. Person B, the whole focus is on himself. Person B is concerned how person C will look at him. Does that make sense? What is love, really? Now, you have to use the discernment of the Holy Spirit, but friends that help each other in the sense of, if you op- uh, take, for instance, accountability groups, your core leader telling you that they see something, discerning something going on in your heart, discerning something that you may be struggling in, isn't them being like, I'm better than you because you're struggling with this. We're telling them what they're struggling in, and people are telling us what we're struggling in. Why? Because we have friends. That's what a friend is. John 13, 34, Jesus just emphasizes loving each other again and again. And he goes, a new command I give you, love one another as I have loved you, so you must love one another. By this, all men will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. He's talking about a relationship with each other. If we would love one another, if we would have righteous, pure, genuine relationship with each other, people would see and they would know that we're his disciples. I think it's interesting that he goes, a new command I give you, love one another. John 14, 15 to 16. Jesus, or probably just 15 jesus goes if you love me you will obey what i command so it's the whole idea that love is an action and jesus isn't saying if you love me you'll obey what i command he's not saying you know if you really love me then you'll obey me he's not like if you really love me hannah then you'll obey me he's saying matter of factly if you love me you'll obey what i command The obedience to his commands are a result of the love for him. It's not proof that you love him. I hug and kiss my wife because I love her. I don't hug and kiss my wife to prove that I love her. I'm not going to go home tonight and be like, I really want to prove that I love you, and I'm going to hug her. I'm going to hug her because I love her. And And we obey God because we love him. If you're struggling obeying God and you're struggling lining up with God's will for your life and you're struggling and you're just over and over, I can't, I'm just struggling against the sexual temptation. I'm just struggling against drinking. I'm just struggling against gossiping. I'm just struggling against all of these different things. I'm just struggling submitting to leadership. I'm just struggling in my accountability group. I'm just struggling and serving over here. If we're just struggling and struggling and struggling and we're like, oh, I don't want to do this. Do you love him? If you love him, you go, I want to obey. He's, the, he's, he's my redeemer. He's my savior. He rescued me out of darkness. He's God of all creation. He created everything. He created me. He knows immensely more than I know. I want to do what he's telling me to do. See the heart difference? One heart is, ah, and the other heart is, I want to, I'm, I'm here. I want to do this. You know, whatever you want me to do, God, I'll do.
talk about the great struggle. I hope this is all right. I'm just sharing the scriptures with y'all. The great struggle, I think, comes not from our commandment to love the perfect, never will hurt you, never will betray you, God, but from the commandment to love each other. <laughs> I, don't, I think our great struggle isn't so much with loving the perfect God that, that has a perfect plan, that always loves us and is always faithful and never leaves us, and never forsakes us, and is just the man for you and for me. The struggle comes in the, the command to love each other. And Jesus doesn't say love each other as long as, you're nice, as long as they're nice to you. Love each other as long as they help you in life. He says love each other. This is how people are going to know that you're my disciples. Do relationship with each other the way I've commanded you to do relationship with each other and so we have this huge this huge struggle which i i would probably boldly say that struggle between people is probably the most damaging thing to the body of christ as a whole people not doing relationship well in the way god has commanded us to do relationship is probably the biggest weakness in the church as a whole matthew chapter 8 verse 7 jesus says woe to the world because of its stumbling blocks for it is inevitable that stumbling blocks come but woe to that man through whom the stumbling block comes stumbling blocks mean trap sin and offense so this is astonishing here I'm not even going to say, like, raise your hand if you've ever been offended at someone, because we all have been offended at someone. Matthew, so Jesus says, woe to the world because of its traps, sins, and offenses. And then he says, for it is inevitable. I'm, and now I'm, I'm focusing primarily on offense here. It is inevitable that offenses will come. Jesus is saying, it's impossible that there be no offenses among you. No matter what, offenses will come, no matter what. I think when Jesus gives us instruction through the scriptures, telling us, warning us, guiding us about something like this, these offenses, it's something we need to guard against. I mean, uh, John, John Bevere wrote a book called The Bait of Satan. And I love the title of the book because it's like the, the bait of Satan, like a hook on a worm, you know, for a fish. It's the bait of Satan in order to trap us, in order to get us ill-effective, ineffective for the kingdom of God. If we take the bait of Satan, if we take offense at people and we hold on to that, you become ineffective for the kingdom of God. And so we see over and over in the scriptures emphasis on offense and on relationship with each other and on how to deal with these things. And something that was kind of astonishing to me is in Galatians 5.19, there's a few passages of scripture that say straight up, just real bluntly, if you live like this, blah, 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 you will not inherit the kingdom of God. This is one of them. And, and 
Paul goes, when you follow the desires of your sinful nature, the results are very clear. Sexual immorality, impurity, lustful pleasures, idolatry, sorcery. Now listen to these ones that are lined up with that. Hostility, quarreling, jealousy, outbursts of anger, selfish ambition, dissension, division, envy, drunkenness, wild parties, and other sins like these. And he goes, let me tell you again, as I have already told you, that anyone living that sort of life will not inherit the kingdom of God. Doesn't mean if you fall into that sin one time, you're not going to inherit the kingdom of God. It means if you live the lifestyle of any of these things, and you die in the midst of living that lifestyle, you won't inherit the kingdom of God. And so we see amongst sexual immorality, lustful pleasures, uh, sorcery, uh, drunkenness, and wild parties. Amongst those are hostility, quarreling, selfish ambition, dissension, and division. All having to do with community and each other. Hostility means a feeling or condition of hostility, hatred, or ill will toward another. It's about, it's about ill will towards someone else. Quarreling is an angry dispute or altercation. It's like a sharp disagreement. I don't think we have very many sharp disagreements with ourselves, do you? Selfish ambition is an earnest desire for achievement and distinction. Distinction. Selfish ambition means I don't just have a desire to achieve. I have a desire to achieve so that I'm distinct from everyone else. So that I'm better than everyone else. Dissension is strife and arguing. Division is to separate and to, and to distinguish again. So we see these passages, these, in this passage of Scripture the emphasis of anyone that lives like this will not inherit the kingdom of God. And so somehow, somewhere along the way, within Christian culture, we said it's not okay to have sex outside of marriage, but it is okay to gossip and cause division and dissension. Somewhere along the line, we've said it's not okay to go get drunk and go to wild parties, but it is okay to have selfish ambition and have hostility towards other people. But that's the problem is that in the scriptures it says, no, if you have wild parties and drunkenness and sexual immorality, and if you have hostility, dissension, division, and selfish ambition, none of those people will inherit the kingdom of God. So why do we focus so much on the big sins and so little on the relational sins? And Jesus has called us to focus on relationship. And in fact, in relationship is how we fulfill all the commands of the law. And so what I want to do tonight is just highlight this idea that for us to look at our relationships with each other. It's for us to be like, what, what does my heart look like towards other people? What do my actual relationships look like with other people? Now some of you have better relationships now than you've ever had in your whole entire life. But you still have unforgiveness towards people in your past. But you still have bitterness that you've been harboring. But you still have some areas that we, that we all need to work on in relationship with those that are friends with us right now. Hebrews 12, 14 says, Pursue peace with all men and the sanctification without which no one will see the Lord. That's the passage that says, Without holiness no one will see God. See to it that no one comes short of the grace of God that no root of bitterness springing up causes trouble, and by it many be defiled. We have these theology debates, and some of the debates are talking about falling from grace and all of that stuff, and if you can fall from grace and all of that stuff. And I won't tell you my personal stance on that stuff, 
But, <laughs> but Hebrews 12, 14 right here. See, he says, <laughs> but, no. No, I'm, I'm seriously not. I'm not going there. Whoops. Hebrews 12, 14, where he says, see to it that no one comes short of the grace of God, that no root of bitterness springing up causes trouble. I think it's very simply just saying, we have the grace to not have bitterness. See to it that you don't fall short of the grace of God. What is the grace? The grace is the ability to not harbor bitterness. And, and then I love how it says, listen to the context. If you've ever seen someone that was bitter, I guarantee you, you've seen it negatively affecting those around them. See to it that no, that no root of bitterness springs up causing trouble and by it defile many. Bitterness will defile many. Unforgiveness will defile many. Unforgiveness hurts not just the person holding it, but the person they're holding it against, as well as all the people around the person holding it. Do you see how that's community? Do you see how like our, our sin affects other people? Offense is like, we see even in the scriptures with the disciples where they, where they are astonished at Jesus' teaching about forgiveness. In Luke 17, Jesus is telling his disciples, be on your guard. If your brother sins, rebuke him. And if he repents, forgive him. And he goes, if he sins against you seven times in a day and returns to you seven times saying, I repent, forgive him. And it says, the apostles said to the Lord, increase our faith, exclamation point. One of, one of the hardest things in our walk with God is to remain unoffendable. I mean, Jesus is, is doing miracles, is, is multiplying bread, is, is commanding and teaching all sorts of craziness. Like, eat, anyone that doesn't eat my flesh and drink of my blood cannot, cannot be my disciple, all, like stuff like that. But then Jesus goes, if your brother sins against you seven times in a day and comes back to you and repents seven times in that same day, forgive him. And they're like, increase our faith! You've got to be kidding me. But that's so true of us. One of the hardest things in our lives is to remain unoffendable. You've got to be on, on guard against offense. And then we see in Matthew 5, 44, just over and over, Jesus says, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. 1 Peter 3, 9, don't repay evil for evil. Don't retaliate with insults when people insult you. Instead, pay them back with a blessing. If someone insults you, bless them. If someone does evil towards you, bless them. If someone's an enemy to you, pray for them. What does that mean? What's an enemy to you? Okay, so, so an enemy is someone who's talking behind my back, saying all sorts of bad things, and, and spreading all kinds of rumors. I would consider that kind of an enemy. Pray for them. Don't insult them. Don't have unforgiveness towards them. Don't think bad thoughts towards them. Pray for them. Bless them. When you, I, I had an instance in my life where um, s someone like really betrayed me and, and all of this stuff. And I just like, you know, it was just hard. And it was hard for like a month. And it, it was just kind of, I didn't realize it, but it was heavy. You know, I was feeling all this heaviness. And I read this scripture and I just started praying blessing upon them. And I started praying for them like I prayed for myself. And I prayed blessing and, 
and prospering and, and that they'd walk with God and all of this stuff. And, and all of a sudden, it was like this ton of bricks just lifted off my shoulders. And it was just the principles of the kingdom of God. When you bless those that insult you. All right. I just want to close with this, that it's going to take great effort to overcome our great struggle. Our great struggle to get along with each other, to remain unoffendable, to love one another, to do relationship well, to accomplish the things God's called us to accomplish. It's going to take great effort. Philippians 2, it's this famous passage of scripture where Paul says, do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, but in humility consider others better than yourselves. Each of you should look not only to your own interests, but also to the interests of others, taking on the attitude of Christ. And then this next section out of the message, Christ had equal status with God, but he didn't think so much of himself that he had to cling to the advantages of that status no matter what. Not at all. When the time came, he set aside the privileges of deity. Theology debate, anyway. Set aside the, set aside the privileges of deity and took on the status of a slave. Dang it. Be, and became human. Having becoming human, he stayed human. It was an incredibly humbling process. He didn't claim special privileges. Instead, he lived a selfless, obedient life and then died a selfless, obedient death and the worst kind of death at that, a crucifixion. Few verses down is the passage of Scripture that talks about working out your salvation with fear and trembling. In the New Living Translation, working out your salvation with fear and trembling says, work hard to show the results of your salvation, obeying God with a deep reverence and fear. Work hard to show the results of your salvation, obeying God with a deep reverence and fear. In this context, the way that we work hard to show the result of our salvation is you consider others better than yourself. So you look not only to your own interests, but to the interests of others. The, the emphasis and the focus throughout the scriptures, and I, I encourage you and, and exhort you to, to study the scriptures and look at all the places where he's talking about relationship and loving each other and do nothing out of vacancy and all of these passages of scriptures i could just go on and on and on and you see a huge wide scheme of like man if i'm godly with other people you know what a lot of times when i see god like people that are just have this like bubbly like love towards all towards all these people you know towards everyone i'm like that person is godly you know like, Jonathan Wade reminds me of that. Jonathan Wade is just like, he's a loving guy. And I'm just like, there, I want that, you know? That challenges me to be, be, to do relationship well like Jesus has called us to. You've just heard one of the speakers from Desperation, a ministry of New Life Church in Colorado Springs. For more information on becoming a Desperation intern, attending one of our conferences, or joining the Desperation National Network for local churches, visit us at desperationonline.com.